0: Thank you everyone again so much for tuning into another awesome podcast episode here at Brian's Place. Today, you guys are in for a treat, like, honestly, a real Mm. treat. Um, We have an awesome featured guest today. He's my boss, director at work. He's a DJ known as DJ Boy Wonder. He's a USC doctoral graduate. He's a program director at Telecares muir treatment program in San Jose, and most of all, he has a heart after God. In the Bible, there's a place that says where Jesus said, if you love me, feed my sheep. And I can personally tell you that with his awesome heart, today's guest continually, defeats, continually feeds hope and inspiration, joy, and a second chance to me. Please welcome my brother and good friend, Dr. Marco Ibarra. Thank you, Brian,
1: for having me. Great introduction. Thanks for having me on, and yeah, excited.
0: Definitely, definitely. Thank you. Thank you again. I know we had been talking about this, so now it's a it's a reality.
1: It's official. I'm
0: on. Yeah, no,
1: that's a great thing.
0: Yes, definitely. Uh, so you are a DJ. How did, um, where did your love for music um, come from?
1: Um, you know, I think my love for music, my original, like where I trace all my roots mm-hmm. back, I really think it was my parents. Uh, my dad, Michael Ibar, rest his soul, he was actually a musician. Um, so he was actually a saxophone player. So back in the days before the DJs, there was what we call, uh, Battle of the Bands. So it wasn't Battle of the DJs, this was Battle of the Bands. So, uh, my dad came, uh, playing like rock and roll, um, so again, chuck berry like uh, little richard like all like the classic like rock and roll stuff like he was playing um and they would go out and battle the bands and uh, i think that love for music was part of the influence i think initially and if you haven't seen this before please go watch american graffiti um, but that whole um that whole music era that whole that piece right there really inspired me to really start loving music more um, and then not only my dad, but uh, my mom, you know, my mom brought just something different. My mom was Motown, uh, James Brown. Yeah. Uh, so again, that combination of like uh, soul and funk and rock and roll, I just had a, a love for music. Um, and then, you know, family events, family parties, you'd always hear the rancheras and cumbias. So I got my Spanish ritual for that. So again, just like an eclectic of music. Um, but again, when you talk about music and you, you talk about like hip hop or R and B or any of the stuff that's out new. It all originated from back in the days, you know. Yeah. They, it was sampled. So again, all this stuff you're hearing new now,
0: it was yeah. sampled
1: somewhere or somewhere they found it along the line. So again, I think my love for music that's where it first started. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I would say like junior high, I said, man, I really love music, and and so I think some of my and I, I remember going to my first junior high dances, and I think some of those were, were seeing my first DJs in action. Um, so again, uh, I remember seeing an individual, his name is Jazzy Jim. Um, and again, uh, I just seemed like, wow, this is a, an amazing individual, like, he's playing. And, and, and the thing about me was, you know, I was so used to seeing um, folks of color being DJs, um, but this was a white dude that was getting down, um, scratching and playing the hip hop. Yeah wow, this is amazing. Uh, so again, like some of my first junior high dances w- were like, I think some of them were where I started like, you know what? I, I really love this. Like, uh, and again, I, you know, I, I danced and stuff, but I was just more interested in hearing the music and how they would put it and adjust it and, and play it back and forth. Um, I think once I got further into high school, that's where my love, that's where it was like decided for me, like, I want to be a DJ. Yeah, I remember, I would say my freshman year in high school and I went to Mount Pleasant High School. So shout out to Mount Pleasant High School and all the old school uh, DJ crews. But uh, a friend of mine, his name is Virgil Paez, and I give it up to the Paez brothers. But I remember going to my my friend Virgil's house and his brother uh, was Valente Paez. And he had a a DJ crew at the time called Midnight Sounds. Uh, But I remember going into uh, Valente's room. No one was allowed in there, but I went in there and I finally saw my first set of turntables. And there's the thing about turntables and vinyl and 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 new uh, new uh, equipment that you that's that smell. Uh, and I got to touch my first turntable, and from there I was just I was hooked. Like, oh my gosh! Like, and so from that moment on, like I started buying records. Um, I went to a couple of you know. At first, I was like a roadie. And I was carrying stuff in for 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 them and i was like nah like that's not me like i want to be dj i want to be a dj, be a DJ. <laughs> so uh i think for me that influence there uh there was other groups like nebulous sound productions uh there was uh turntable wizards uh eugene mccalla um and, and tdc um and again these are guys that i learned from just watching um and i'm always a good observer but i did get a lot of my skills from uh, from TDC, his name's Tony the Devastating Cutter, but he would battle like Hubert and Joe Cooley. And if you know who, I, who I'm talking about, you would yeah. look up and you could see these battles, but you know, first person that I see him, took off his shoe and started scratching with it. Uh, got a beer, beer bottle, started scratching with it. Like, you know, it's just very innovative, stuff you'd never see, you know? And that was our, back in the days, that was our TikTok and YouTube and stuff like that's When you went to a house party or you went to yeah. like dance, yeah, that's where the live stuff was. So again, um, capturing that those moments like that really started uh, the influences of me like becoming a DJ. So,
0: wow, that's awesome. So music is uh, definitely in your DNA.
1: Definitely in my DNA.
0: <sighs> definitely, and um, you know, definitely some of those names you mentioned definitely sound familiar. I remember watching like um, CMC California Music Channel and. Um, so, that's
1: where I day, got so shout out to the Gomez brothers, uh, Hugo and Chewy Gomez. But uh, Chewy Gomez and Hugo, they gave me a really great start over at California Music Channel. So I was like uh, part of their street team. but got to DJ.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and I was part of their actual DJ crew. So before, um, before all that, they were called Little Man Productions. And so I was actually one of the DJs for them. But a uh, great group of guys, super down to earth, always down to help. Um, And they're from South, I think they're from South, San Francisco. So again, just the the traveling. So San Jose, San Francisco, like really now starting to make my circles around the Bay Area, you Mm -hmm. know, not just a San Jose DJ or someone from the far away, but someone really encompassed like the Bay Area. Um, But again, like uh, shout out to CMC and and, and Chewy Gomez for those opportunities. Um, Yeah. And then from there, you know, uh, I remember going and doing guest spots at Hot 97.7 back in the day, so I got to m- meet all those guys, and then once 97.7 shut down, you know, everybody went to, uh, it was Wild 107 at the time, okay. uh, and so from Wild 107, it was uh, 94.9, but like a lot of DJs uh, there, are just a lot of love, you know, um, Jose Melendez, Rich Laxamana, DJ Please, you um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a lot of people, but I just remember just uh, being around them and just that that musical love. Um, and, you know, just getting on, having your set. So, you know, I was a Wild Style DJ for, for about, uh, I think, two years. Uh, so I was playing on the air, um, driving from San Jose to San Francisco on Fridays and Saturdays. Um, and again, it's much easier for the DJs now because you just bring a laptop. I mean, yeah. back in the days, I was carrying around like 10 crates and those crates. You know, they easily weighed, you know, 200, 100 pounds. So it's just yeah. like, imagine DJs, and, and again, you know, the rooms where we DJed at, you know, at the station were super small. So just imagine each time someone went on, you'd have to take out, like, your 10 crates. And they were just, like, massive. Uh, and again, you never knew what the other DJ was going to play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, instead having a plethora of music, like MP3s on your, your computer, you did they really select what records am I gonna bring with me this week. You know, what's the, the, the new uh, jam I want to play? So, uh, so, again, just that was just amazing itself. So, from 90 even before 94.9, though, uh, you know, my college days, I was actually doing a lot of the fraternity and sorority parties. Okay, so, yeah. DJing over at San Jose State, Santa Clara University, UC Davis, UC Berkeley, Sacramento State. Uh, so, I mean, I traveled and, and I loved it because, again, it's just a new opportunity to see other people. Uh, other yeah. days. Uh, Again, I played uh, a lot of my college circuit was from like 97 all the way up to almost 2001, you know, I was definitely playing in that area
0: mm-hmm.
1: Early on, wow. though, um, Even before that my high school, I got my one of my big breaks though was Let's uh, say it was uh, 1989 that's when I first started DJing, but when I first started DJing, I also got my first break um, And I started DJing for uh, Lowrider magazine so shout out to LG Productions, Larry Gonzalez, for giving me an opportunity because I was 16, young, didn't know what I was doing, but I knew, I, I the love for DJing and, and promoting and talking it up. So again, I was a main stage DJ for almost a decade. Um, and I traveled all over California to do those shows with Lowrider Magazine. So again, I got to meet a lot of old school folks like Ice Cube, Snoop Dogg, uh, Mary Jane Girls, mm-hmm. uh, and roger Troutman. so i met roger Troutman before he passed away um so again the list goes on and on but again just the plethora of talent uh, at the time and just being there on the front of that um and then then you know freestyle music was big so i've had the opportunity not only to dj but also hire because i was also a promoter so you know connie treenere mc shiny johnny's johnny o Uh, a lot of these artists you know i was able to meet Hire and and again, before I would just be playing their music, but I never thought that I'd actually be a promoter. There'd be a hiring and then flying them down and doing shows for you know thousands of people. Um, I I just never imagined that. So, again, a lot of that you know started back in my high school days. Um, So, you know, it goes on and on, but then I just started doing private events. I was in the club scene for a long time, Uh, don't get me wrong. Uh, I love the club scene, but. You, know, you kind of get tired of it you know over yeah. time, you know what I mean showing up uh, you know drinking waiting to get paid or not get paid you know yeah. I was back in the days it was it was it was a challenge um, being competitive against other DJs you know so again the love for music was there and again I just mm-hmm. uh, I went with the times um, and then finally I just started doing more of like private events like yeah uh, and again the great thing about my career, and this is a blessing, this is God answering all the time. But you know, I've never had to promote in like any anywhere. You know, every every event or gig I have is a self referral with someone that knows me. Or word someone of mouth, word of mouth, and I really like that because it keeps it um, for me. It's just family, you know. It keeps it family. Like even though I might know you, you're referral from somebody that knows me, and so again, it's just more personal. It's more on that. Person.
0: Yeah, uh,
1: I think like those folks doing it and, and advertising on like wedding sites and like uh you know all the other things I think that's great. Um but I was blessed just I didn't have to do that. And still to this yeah. day I don't have to do that. Like people know me, they'll get a hold of me on social media or, or you know, my phone number's been the same for the last almost twenty years. So and uh just being consistent with that. But again uh it's and again, I, I love entertaining people. I love people. I love seeing people get excited. I love making memories. Mm-hmm. You know, when I do weddings or quinceañeras or even birthday parties, like there's just this. Uh, they're they're going to remember that. They're going to remember the good times. They're on the dance floor. You know, exciting. Yeah. Um, so again, for me, it's it's always been about uh, being an entertainer, but meeting their needs. Not me playing what I like, but playing what they like. Reading the crowd. I yeah. think for a lot of DJs, that's the biggest struggle. Like reading your crowd and
0: playing for the crowd and not yourself. Wow, yeah. Man, that's a that's a blessing. You've definitely uh, done done a lot, and music in itself has definitely come a long way. I remember, you know, making a mixtape and listening to the radio. You've got to press those two buttons down and listen for the commercial because you don't want the commercial on the mixtape. Right. I'm going
1: to pause it. i get my pause mixtape out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, again, everybody would do that. And then so, and again, I was around when, you know, cassette tapes were still in. You know, I still have cassette tapes, uh, you know. And then, uh, you know, part of my career was uh, also being, like, the first one to start doing mixed CDs. Uh, before anybody, uh, I was able to get mixed CDs out and have them um, silverback, which is which is what original CDs artists would make. I had someone that actually would able to do that for me. So they played on every single device versus, like, the old CDs where it was like the back was blue and you didn't know if it was going to play on your set or not. Yeah. Um, yeah. I had an opportunity to do that. So, I mean, I had four or five mixes at Sam Goody's uh, at Eastridge at Oak Ridge, like for a real long time. And uh, that was just really inspiring for me. Um, and then my mixes shipped out to Texas and Florida. And then they were bootleg, which is okay because uh, even though I didn't make any money off of that, what was great It was my name was out everywhere. And they didn't change yeah. the DJ, they didn't change the intro, they didn't even change the cover, they left everything uh, uh, alone. <laughs> so you know, one of my mixes alone I know easily probably sold close to 15,000 copies or it was yeah. out there, 20,000. And at that time that was pretty big considering like I really didn't have a distributor. Um, it was just more of the mix and the way it sounded, you know, and I did mm-hmm. it. You know, for me, I was, it was always about the power mixing. Uh, and power mixing, for those of you that don't know, is like when you let a, a, a mix or a track play for a minute, minute and a half tops, and you're already mixing into the next one. Uh, some people like that, but for me, and some people didn't, because people want to hear the whole song. Yeah. But I was in a place like, well, if you want to hear the whole song, then you just download the whole song then. If you yeah. That much? But for me, it was about making moves and, and having people move and having people go to the mix um, and wanting to keep playing it over and over again, because it just kept going and there was no stopping and you didn't get bored of the the original song
0: man that's awesome and even to this day you know i believe you know your presence and your um skills are still being requested all around the bay area
1: which is yeah um so again uh that's that's been a blessing um i just recently about i would say probably about six months seven months ago just did uh a year over at q102 Uh, So I was doing, like, the old school mixes on that station for a while. Um, So I appreciate uh, the love that I got there um, as well. And so, um, yeah. And so tons of mixes done. Uh, I even have mixes that I haven't even released yet, uh, which is okay. Uh, So,
0: yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Who would you say were some, and I'm sure you mentioned a few, but who would you say were some of your musical, were um, some of the mu- musical artists or DJs that you looked up to or that ins- really helped inspire you to uh, become a DJ? Um, I,
1: I think it was just, it was watching all the other DJs. Um, I, I, like I said, I think for me, uh, DJ Jazzy Jim, uh, DJ Huskan, uh you know, there's a couple other DJs out there that um, I love their quick mixing, their, their scratching, their, their ability to kind of speak with the turntables.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: but I think those influences, like, supported my growth and, mm-hmm. and getting me like, oh, I, I really, I really want to do that. Um, I, and again, uh, TDC, uh, again, was someone that I actually, he taught me. I watched him and we'd go back and forth. He would, you know, help me out. Um, so, again, those were my major influences for myself, um, at least for the DJ. As mm-hmm. far as artists go, um, you know, I, I I can't say an artist uh, really, like, had me go one way or the other, but I can just say the artists I've met uh, so far just, like, super down to earth. Um, and, again, I, I appreciate those
0: artists uh, for doing that. Wow, that was awesome. And so you've... Um... You not, you know, I've noticed that when someone is real passionate about something, um, there's longevity connected to that. And with that being said, you've not only been a DJ for 33 years, but you've been a successful DJ and you as I mentioned, your amazing DJ skills are still being requested all around weddings, parties, events, and all around the Bay for, for 33 years. So like, how does that, how does that feel?
1: Um, unbelievable. Uh, and and again, I have to sit back and really count those blessings. And I think the old me and again, I I would say as as a DJ, I've had to recreate myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had to also uh, recreate the type of individual I am because, you know, back in the days, you know, I was used to the the DJ battle days. Um, Mm -hmm. so back in the days, if you were a DJ, you battled at Overfell High School, uh, every there was somebody in San Jose, even like outside of San Jose. Like you went to Overfell for the battle of the DJs they had there, and so in yeah. that time it was that battle of the DJs, uh, I was in, in a group called Bass Syndicate, um, and, and DJ David B was my partner at a time. Um, but again, when you wanted to do that, you had to you had to go DJ and you had to battle. And I think mm-hmm. it's that that creation of being hungry for that, um, and again. I think at the time I was always in, I always felt like it was in competition with other DJs uh, because it's a real cutthroat industry
0: Um,
1: but as I got older I recreated myself to really think about like it's not doing me any good to not friend or uh, other DJs so I think for me the big change was just supporting everybody that's in the business, supporting Mm -hmm. everyone who loves music Um, because one thing I learned especially in the Bay Area there's enough work to go around for everybody. Yeah. Uh, that's one. And the next thing is uh, everybody loves a different style. You know what I mean? Like, that's the other thing, too, is as DJs, we get to create ourselves and create our sound. So the, the great thing about me is I feel like I'm one of the most eclectic DJs. So if you need a hip hop DJ, I'm going to do hip hop. If you need an old school DJ, I'm going to do old school. If you need a house DJ, I'm going to pull out my house music. Um, so again, I've never been limited. I've never limited myself to say I'm only this type of DJ. Um, I really feel like I've really created like me being like all-purpose, all-around DJ for any event at any time uh, based on the crowd. Um, So again, it's always looking at recreating yourself Mm -hmm. and looking at how you can get better and understanding more so that you you shouldn't be in competition with others, but you should be in competition with yourself.
0: Yes, that's so true. I like that. When you mentioned the idea of recreating yourself, it makes me think of um, legendary groups such as. The Isley Brothers or Earth, Wind & Fire who decades later are still like making a difference.
1: Totally making a difference. And again, that music is like forever. Like you can go to any event, you're going to hear an Earth, Wind & Fire song. You're going to hear possibly an Isley Brothers song. But again, it's it's that longevity that you have to think about. Uh, How do I last this long? How do I keep recreating myself?
0: What's so awesome is that you're not only a DJ, but you went on to obtain your doctorate degree from um, USC and you are currently program director at one of the most awesome substance abuse residential treatment programs um, at Telecare's Murray right, right here in the heart of San Jose. Um, would you mind sharing like what field and birth your passion to uh, help those dealing with substance abuse?
1: Yeah, um, so I'm gonna go back to high school. Um, I'm gonna share an experience with you that really created my grounding and and, and for me what I wanted to do. And so and, and what I did know is my my both my parents were pretty active in the community. Like my dad was part of the GI Forum. Uh, he was always active, really trying to help the community. Uh, my mom was a brown beret. She was part of Mecha um, and really mm-hmm. like you know marched with Caesar Chavez and really the rights for. Uh, not only people of color, but Mexicans, Latinos, uh, African Americans—you know, everybody that was struggling at the time during the late '60s. You know, my mom and and dad were part of that in some type of way. So I didn't really know that about that. And again, I did think it came out to like, oh my gosh! Um, and, and I bring this back to high school because I remember my senior year. Um, and I went to Mount Pleasant High School, but I remember my senior year, like I was always in honors courses. I didn't get A's. I wasn't that student. I was a, I was a, a social butterfly. Um, so again, like I was runner up for like biggest flirt. I was runner up for like class clown. Like I enjoyed socializing um, and I knew the work was there, but gosh, yeah. you know, uh, being in high school, I just remember like I wanted to have fun um, and learn at the same time. So being in the honors courses, even though I didn't get like degrees or anything like that, I was still decent, you know, B, C, student. Um, And what was real for me at that time was, I remember all of my other uh, peers, not all of them, but most of them getting called to the counselor's office. like, And and I, hey, what, you you got in trouble? Like, nah, you're in trouble. And, And what they were doing was our counselors were meeting with them to help them, support them on to college. What's your plan and stuff? And I remember, for me, never getting called, uh, too. And I was just like, what, what's going on? Like, uh, um, and again, I, I look at it as a, a place where I can actually point a picture of, uh, you know, looking at um, all my Asian peers getting called, uh, all my uh, white peers getting called, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I didn't see very many people of color getting called in the counselor's office to talk about college. And for me, what I did was I decided to apply myself um, and I supported others in the similar boat without a plan, like, hey, let me help you apply, this is what we're doing. And so mm-hmm. I did get accepted to like San Jose State University. Um, but again, you know, no one told me about financial aid, like, oh my God, I can't get this loan. So I ended up at Evergreen College. Um, and what I realized though in high school was that um, discrimination and racism was real. Um, and I understood that more then and it just gave me that that drive to like this can't be yeah like this is this is such an injustice I can't believe this is really happening so for me I think that was my birth of when I decided like you know what I, I want to help people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and for me it was it was being this the social worker it was being a therapist and so I think that all came together and so again I got to you know I, I was at Evergreen I was learning more about me and I think that's what a lot of people don't do is take time to learn about themselves hmm. uh, And so for me I think evergreen I was in the Alaska program I was the vice president for the Alaska Student Association um, and again that was just really my foundation that they grounded me to know that one uh, there are other like-minded individuals like me but this is happening everywhere. this is yeah this racism this and again it's not talked about and that's okay but I'll bring it up because it should be talked about and it's funny that you know when I when I went there now you know 25 or so years later now we're talking about you know I mean it was so. I think for me that was the start uh, of doing that so in 1993 I got my first job uh, in the field Um, and I remember that year so well because that was also the year my daughter was born and so again being a father Um, I had to make some decisions um, that I need a career. um, And DJing wasn't a career. DJing was uh, great money, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. a career. Um, And so for me, I started off working at the unemployment office. It was on on King Road, and I was working with peers between the ages of 18 to 24, helping them with find work, employment, housing, basically Mm -hmm. all the resources um, that somebody, a student, somebody, you know, trying to find life we're looking for. And I think, for me, that was the birth of, of me wanting to be a social worker, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to do good, wanting to have a voice for others that didn't have a voice, um, seeing the injustices and wanting to make change. And so, again, I got to, I, I completed Evergreen. I went to San Jose State University, so I'm a Spartan as well. So I got my bachelor's degree um, in uh, behavioral science. With a minor in social work, or, sorry, minor in Chicano studies, uh, and then I got into the master's program, and at that time, I was like, wow, we really doing it." Uh, so again, I, I got my master's degree uh, from San Jose State University, still one of the best. I feel like social work programs because it really like okay put that 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 grounding for me that this is what I want to do and then follow that path. So mm-hmm. you know, I emphasize the mental health, children and families, um, and then I got. Uh, graduated and then, like I said, I've I've been in the field since. And so uh, again, I've been in the field for gosh, almost thirty years. So since wow. twenty nine years, I've been in the field. So again, really supporting uh, best social work practices, uh, you know, therapeutic alliances and stuff. So uh, and again, I've I've always worked for nonprofit organizations. Uh, always really related to San Jose, uh, especially you know helping those out. And again i work with youth programs i work with gang intervention programs um, so what i can tell you is that every every position i've had or every job i've had there's always been an association or relationship with the criminal justice system mm-hmm. and for the criminal justice system uh, many of our folks are underserved uh, they don't get the, the need their needs met and what i did find quite interesting is most folks that needed help uh, someone in their family or themselves um, had an addiction problem or addiction issue, but didn't know what to call it. And we're afraid to call it that, right? Because again, Mm -hmm. no one can say you're an addict uh, because I think again, the stigma for addiction is we think about these folks that are homeless uh, shooting up and stuff. And and again, that's not the only picture that we should have. Mm -hmm. Um, Professionals are addicts, right? So again, it, it always looks like it's the other side that of the track that oh these are these are the only addicts that I could think of and, and that's so not true. Um, so I think for me, um, it was it was that slow start. You know, I, I did some time over working at Elmwood and uh, Main Jail for Santa Clara County. Mm. Um, and I think for me, for me, it was talking to the to the folks in there, the the, the custody clients in there and them sharing their stories with me of the needs of the uh, needs un- unmet needs that they weren't getting and now a lot of it was addiction treatment a lot of it's mental health and, and to this day we still can't serve anybody that, need, that needs the help um, it's so challenging to go find services um, and be consistent with those services because again uh, our, our folks out there in the community need more than, than we're offering now and mm-hmm. it's hard to, to to share that and then, you know, and and for that to uh, come into different programs. So uh, after I did my uh, time at uh, the county for a little bit, uh, I noticed that uh, I wasn't, they weren't gonna allow me to grow. I had too many ideas. I was too innovative. Um, I knew what needed to happen. And again, the county's so slow at, at moving into a direction, which is good to know. Um, But then, uh, you know, I I had a headhunter come out and find me um, and told me, like, hey, are you interested in in a startup program that hasn't even been created yet? (laughs) Gosh, a startup program. And at the time, I was getting my doctorate, and I was actually – my Capstone project was um, looking at ways to – looking at ways to figure out why individuals continue to, to uh, recidivate back into this, this uh, circle. Uh, and recidivism is one of the biggest issues that we, we see is that, you know, how do these people get out? Uh, mm-hmm. So, again, you know, my capstone project was looking at creating a program to, to have people get out. So, uh, at the time at Elmwood, I was working with, with uh, all the, only the women's programs. Um, so, again, I was programmed for special management. And they shared a lot of uh, the women there, you know, I had a lot of uh, programs and I had a lot of, uh, what you call it, kind of like when we you, you get together and you ask them, what what do they need? You know, yeah. and we, and we did a lot of that. And so what they shared with me supported me creating an all women's program. Um, when I got hired, though, um, what it was a men's program. So basically I had to do a shift. Um, Mm -hmm. And the great thing about doing this shift was uh, I was able to now not only create this women's program that's just still waiting to be created. uh, It's ready to launch, uh, but I was able to kind of do a men's program.
0: Yeah.
1: One of the things I found about the the men um, is our men are really hurting. Our men are really holding on to a lot of trauma in their life uh, that they're not allowed to to let go or to share uh, because, again, there's still this machismo that men have to not have feelings. They can't cry. They, should show, yeah. and they shouldn't show feelings. And that's so wrong. And again, uh, I'm glad we're in a different time where you can be sensitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can cry. Uh, you can be compassionate. You can give uh, another man a hug as, as, as a brother. Um, and that's something I really tried to encompass creating the program over at Muriel Wright mm-hmm. is we really created a brotherhood, a million, yeah. for others to feel safe. No matter where you came from, you know, we don't have the jail politics. We don't have the street politics. That's not what we're about, mm-hmm. especially in creating uh, folks that want a different opportunity or a new chance, or again, uh, becoming a, a man of integrity. What does that look like? What does that feel like? And, and sharing that. Um, and again, creating a team that also believes, and I think a team uh, is only as good as, as their leader or is only as good as the, the, the vision of the program. I think with the vision of the program, it really set up um, all of our amazing team members that we have uh, to continue that uh, that belief in that we can support these men at being better.
0: Wow, I like that. And I've talked to, um, you know, I heard testimonies from several of the clients and who've passed through there and they've all said one common thing about you is that you care. And I've noticed that. It's one thing to say you care, but it's another thing to show you care. I believe that, like the word love, care is also an action word. And you definitely um, live out the definition of the word care. So that's an awesome testament to you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. And so you are a... You're a husband, you're a father, you're a DJ, you're director of an awesome growing program. You've been asked to speak at various events and functions. And so, like, with all of that going on, how do you balance everything? And how do you find you time? Because you have to make sure, you know, your cup stays full because you you can't pour from an empty cup. So with only 24 hours in each day, um, what's your secret?
1: Um. I think for me my longevity in, in, in both fields is um, finding a way number one to be balanced but also making sure that I'm happy with what I'm doing uh, one of the things that I can share with you in, in all of my job opportunities especially is that if I got and again I'm um, I'm not one to leave a program until I really feel like the program is set like um, and again what I, what I mean by that is that um, my balance comes from making sure that I'm happy with what I'm doing. Um, my balance comes from also making sure that others that love me uh, know that my time is 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 balanced out. Um, so for me, I, I think for, for me, especially being a husband and, and being a father, uh, it's a lot of communication. Uh, it's a lot of communication so that I do get balanced. And I make sure that I'm not overwhelmed, but again, it's, it's something you had to learn. Um, and again, so I've had, 30 years to perfect uh, this balance of life, but again this balance of life takes work um, and again, so that's yeah. why I'm saying like, I, I never stop working on myself, uh, I never stopped working on who I am as an individual um, and I really take the time and opportunity to look back and see um, some of the choices and maybe decisions that I could have done differently um, and accepting that yeah. and being accountable yeah. for that And so, again, I'm at a place now where uh, everything I do, uh, if it doesn't give me that fulfillment of supporting others or that fulfillment of being happy, then I'm looking for another opportunity. Uh, And that's one of the things I think a lot of people stay stagnant. I think they stay comfortable. Um, uh, And again, you know, being a man of faith, you know, God never said to wait around. Uh, Again, God is waiting for you to work so he can work with you. He's uh, walking with you uh, but again he's not going to carry you all the time he's not going to sit there and wait for you to, to make things happen and so that's one of the things that I've, I've learned in not only my relationship with, with God but just my relationship with others is that uh, I have, you have to keep moving uh, I and mean, you have to, to keep wanting something different for yourself and again different doesn't always mean it's uh, good or bad different means that you just don't get bored with life um, and as a, as a former addict myself, um, that's one of the things that I got to, to, to do for me is I needed to replace this old bad habit with new habits. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, that was spending time with family, volunteering at programs, uh, supporting others. You know, besides a lot of the work I do, uh, a lot of times I meet with individuals that are in the field um, or new to the field and supporting them um, as a mentor uh, so that they don't get stagnant or stuck in maybe a position I was in. Uh, because at the time, you know, it's really hard to find a good role model or someone you could trust or understand, you know, your life. Um, so again, I think for me, being happy is probably the, one of the biggest things you can do for yourself. And understanding why you're happy, right? What fulfills you? Uh, so when I walk into work every day, what fulfills me is seeing these guys smiling, Um, and waiting for opportunities. Um, What makes me smile is when I'm in the community and I see one of our graduates come up to me and just hug me and tell me what an amazing, one, how amazing they're doing, but two, um, thanking me for the, the, the program and for the staff, for everyone that's shown them love. And I think that's one of the things that, you know, our programs, what makes our program so different than others is that I really feel like you feel the love there.
0: Yeah, I don't just. know
1: if you can walk into many other programs and feel that type of love. Um, and again, uh, that was a creation um, that helped that helped me create this this milieu for addiction treatment was uh, from my son. So my son uh, Steven, uh he is a former addict. He struggled with alcoholism uh, for ten years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hit it for a while, worked on it. We worked on him. But one of the things that I realized is that. You can't give up on it you can't give up on them uh, because it's that one moment that you give up where they really want it
0: yeah
1: uh, and that's one of the things that we created at our milieu is that we're never giving up like even if they don't um, even if they break one of the rules and we have to discharge them it's never like get out of here I don't want to see you it's like hey you're not ready for treatment yet we're gonna be here when you're ready mm-hmm. You let us know it's it's that that openness, that love, that compassion, that understanding, like yeah. I think a lot of places lack that, uh, because it's, it's, uh, for so long, I think a lot of programs and, and individuals sometimes see people as just a number or someone else mm. versus like, I see you as an individual. I see you as a successful individual and showing that and sharing that and shouting that out. Um, and I think that's the biggest difference for me that fulfillment comes from, from that is that Showing up to a place that I know that one, it's doing amazing work. Uh, I really truly believe it's God's work. Um, and I wouldn't be where I am if this wasn't God's plan. Um, I spent so much time going through doors that kept shutting on me. And when I finally allowed myself to have these doors open and go through these doors that were opening for me, um, this is where I really saw the success and the meaning of. Uh, that fulfillment um, and every day i go to work that's that fulfillment that fulfillment in in life uh to support others get better to get them on track um, and so yeah
0: that's awesome and that's one thing i love about the program is like like you were saying the moment you walk in um you you feel the love and i really believe like a lot of the um you know that's what these uh well, that's what they need most, you know. The um, of course the classes are great, the um, the structure is great, the milieu is great. But it's like the key ingredient is love, because you know what good is all that without without love, you know. So it's I really um, you know grateful that program has that.
1: And you know one of the other things too uh, that, and again I want to say thank you to Telecare, but you know it also comes with the management, and so. You know, big shout out to Dr. Jennifer Briscoe, who believed in my vision and continues to believe in my vision. But without a leader like that to kind of support your leadership and, and, and your creation, uh, it would be difficult to move forward. So yeah. again, you know, having that management that supports your vision and, and hears you and feels what you're doing and sees what you're doing um, is, is, is something that c- continues to make me, you know, c- to go forward and enjoy this um, from all the different things we do, you know, from mm-hmm. our from our holidays to the summers to our outings, you know what I mean, like, uh, without without the support of of management and folks like Dr. Dr. Jennifer Briscoe, uh, I don't know if I'd still be able to to be happy there. Uh, But again, uh, it's supported us, uh, and again, it's continued to build, and I feel like every every year we're getting better, we keep growing, Um, and we learn more about the program and the needs of the community and the needs of the clients.
0: That's awesome. That is awesome. And um, so if there's a young man out there who may be watching or listening to this, who may feel stuck in complacency, stuck in their addiction or stuck in the past, who may um, know there's something much more to him than what meets the eye but feels stuck, what, what advice would you give them?
1: You know, and I want to say this, not just for our, for our gentlemen, but also for our women, for our, our ladies as well. Um, don't be afraid to ask for help. You know what I mean? Uh, I didn't get to where I'm at today on my own. I've had people support me. I've asked for help. I've reached out, you know. So, again, what, what I would share is uh, make sure that you don't get stuck in this place where you feel like no one's there to support you. You can't count on anybody. Uh, move forward. Uh, believe in yourself. Uh, Don't give up on yourself, and that's the thing I think that a lot of times uh, we don't have a a cast of individuals supporting us, or we don't have a cast of individuals uh, looking at all the good uh, that we've done. I think for a lot of folks, uh, we get stuck in the past, and the past is just that, it's the past. Like, There's no time machine to go backwards. We should definitely learn from the past, but we shouldn't be stuck in our past. The future is always there. Um, and the future is like the next day the future is the next hour the future is the next minute uh, we can make those changes and decisions uh, with support but again don't ever feel like you're stuck I really truly believe if you have a vision uh, if you have a dream uh, it's there for you to take um, but again don't feel like you have to do it by yourself I think that's you know I think again that's what a lot of people feel like I gotta do this on my own Like or, or else I'm not successful it's like no I'm successful because I've asked others to help. I'm successful because I didn't just say I could do it on my own. Um, put that ego down a little bit sometimes. Mm-hmm. Cause I think our egos get in the way of no, I, I have to do it on my own or else I'm not successful or, uh, or, or something that something that someone has said to us in the past that, you know brings us to that place. So one of the things I would just share is this like don't feel you're alone. Um, know that there's people out there that want to help you support you um, and again if, if you're following christ if you're following god like you're never alone yeah you
0: know,
1: and i mm-hmm. always go back to that that poem, footprints you know what i mean like you're just not alone you're not mm-hmm. uh, know that uh, and know that someone loves you and, and i think that's the thing is we also got to love ourselves um, one of the things that i've noticed um, and i don't know if it's generational uh, or or the new age of what's happening but I feel like we're always comparing ourselves to others, right? Oh, they got this. I need to get this. I got this. I need to get this. We got to look at ourselves and say, what do we really need, right? And again, it shouldn't be the materialistic items because what what I've learned is materialistic items come and go. You know what I mean? In my own addiction, I lost a million dollar home. Is it sad? It's sad, but you know what? It wasn't the end of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't that doesn't make me who I am today. Um, so know that you know in the struggles of addiction, in the struggles of mental health, people are there to help you. Uh, people want to help you, but you also have to be the person to say, you know what? I need the help. Um, because again, you can't get the help if you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. So that's you know that's kind of where where I'm at with that.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's true. Definite uh, pearls of wisdom there. Um, my mom growing up used to always tell me a closed mouth never gets fed so and it, that's so true yeah
1: if you're hungry let me
0: feed you you know yeah. what I
1: mean and that's truth. like and what I'm you know what I mean by that is I'm here to support you in those different times in those darknesses like someone really out there is really ready to help um, and again um, don't be afraid to ask for help that's the biggest thing
0: yeah amen that is true and so finally, um, if people need a DJ or if they need guidance or help with their substance abuse, um, how can they get in touch with you?
1: Um, so for the DJ, um, you can put it on Instagram. It's at, at LDJBoyWonder. Um, it comes up pretty fast. Um, and then for like anyone that needs like help with addiction or just where to go or anything on uh, mental health or anything, uh, my email, Dr. Michael C. Ibarra. Um, and I don't know if you could post that or I could I could share that in the chat, but um, let me just put it in there. Right. So that's for me, you know, for any DJ events, anything, even if you want to learn, like, hey, you know what, I think I really want to be a DJ, what do you suggest? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. you definitely. Um, and then this is the, going to be the one for... Uh, can be the one for anyone that's really needing help in, you know, with their own addiction or mental health or resources. Um, you definitely have the opportunity to get a hold of me here, um, so I can support you with that. All
0: right. Yeah, I'm definitely sure a lot of people, you know, who see this either may need help themselves or maybe they they know someone who, um, who may need help. So. That'd be, you know, great. Definitely. That'd be great. Well, thank you again so much for um, coming on, and I will, you know, in the in the actual post share your uh, contact information, um, Dr. Michael Yubaro, It's an honor to call you my friend and brother. Continue to impact lives all over. You are doing a tremendous job, not only here in the Bay Area, but I believe um, all over and continue to remember that to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. I appreciate that. Shout out to our Mirror
1: Right team. I want to say what's up to Ignacio, Danielle, Angela, Robert, uh, Juan, uh, Kimberly, uh, whoever else uh, holds it down for us. Like, I appreciate you. Uh, If you're ever wanting to change your field and and you want to help, let us know. Uh, We're always looking for some great folks that uh, are like-minded and ready to change the world.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Well, thank you again, guys, everyone for tuning in. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been greatly blessed and empowered and encouraged by this um, awesome interview with Dr. Michael Ibarra. Um, Thank you as always for rocking and rolling with me the um, seventh season of this podcast and I thank God for this gift and for the platform and for a spirit of, of consistency. you know with any race, it's not about how you how you started, but how you keep going you know um, so I'm grateful for that and for the lives that it continues to touch. So y'all be blessed and as always, this is BDP Brian David Porter living in purpose on purpose intentionally. until next time you guys be blessed.